in pitch for Cuba or Peru, where they'd labor in the sugar plantations or mine guano. The only children Big Uncle kept were his lawful sons by Auntie Bao. Their father styled himself a respectable Chinese comprador. Frogged brocade jacket over ankle-length Changshan, silk cap smoothed tight over shaven head. Grooming his boys to run the family business, even if that business consisted of a brothel, an opium den, a smuggling fleet. Big Uncle's sons were plump and well-dressed. On land, they could pass for Cantonese. But more than anything, Ling envied them their father's name. As a small child, he would watch them following the big man, listening as he taught them his trade. Opium and sex belong together. The one enhances the other. Or at least prolongs it, Auntie Bao pouted. And Ling began to trail them in turn, imitating their deference, their attentiveness, until the oldest boy, thinking he mocked them, shoved him to the deck with a thud. Big Uncle had turned at the sound and, casually, as if stretching, struck the bully about the head. Ling recalled glimpsing the heavy leather wrist guards of a hatchet man beneath his silk sleeves. They're worthless if they're crippled, Big Uncle noted calmly over Elder Brother's sobs, patting Ling's shoulders and examining him. How are you? he asked, and Ling, eyes wide but dry, piped up. Well, father? and the man smiled on him from beneath his sleek mustache. Young Ling had no hope, even as he searched the faces of the white ghosts who frequented the brothel, of finding his own father. The man had given him up, after all. But he still wanted a father, needed one. To be fatherless in China, he understood, was to be poorer than the hungriest peasant. He had made himself useful about the boat, running errands for the girls, waiting on their customers. His specialty was preparing opium for the men, pinching and rolling the doughy pills between his small fingers, holding them over the lamp on the needle until they began to smoke and bubble, then deftly depositing them in the bowl of the waiting pipe. Over time, squatting by their feet, he began to pick up shreds of their language, English mostly, but also phrases of Portuguese and French. Italian and Spanish, to go along with his Cantonese. It got to be a performance, men calling him Little Parrot and tipping him in coin, from which Auntie Bao took her customary cut. Once he saw Big Uncle watching him, and a few days later, the man gave him a gift, a pet cricket folded up in a tiny cage made from a carved bamboo cylinder. He cherished it peering at it through the narrow bars, falling asleep to its ringing song like a prayer or a promise. He wept when it fell silent, hiding for days, thinking he'd be beaten for letting it die, though Big Uncle never asked about it again. Auntie Bao must have seen his hopes in his face. When he grew taller, she insisted he leave. He'll fall in love with one of the girls, la! Bad for business. And so Big Uncle sent him on his way, though not to Peru or Cuba, but to Big City, San Francisco.
He already sold girls from his nursery to supply the brothels on Gold Mountain. The boy with his pocket full of English might do well there too, he reasoned. Off to your own kind, Auntie Bao crowed. But Ling, despite his misgivings, went willingly enough, eager to prove himself a dutiful son. Your passage is paid, Big Uncle told him. A position arranged. Ling had bowed, promised to send money, and the old gangster nodded complacently. That was when he told him gold was in his blood. Ling was fourteen years old. He knew nothing of America, nothing of mining. Pictured himself drawing gold from the dirt like the apothecary straining over that old grandfather, yanking the gold from its roots, brandishing a nugget in a pair of pliers, wet and a little bloody.